time, praise the Lord, and the rest of us, let's open our Bibles this morning to the book of Mark, chapter number 5. Mark, chapter 5. Praise the name of Jesus. Glenn and I are very grateful for your uh, honoring us and for your blessings to us. It's a blessing to be here. We have, we've been here as your pastors now for 32 years. And, of course, we didn't start in this location, but God has blessed us. And all that you look around and see is debt-free. God has blessed us. Uh, this year, uh, by the end of this year, we should easily give away, uh, give out, give away, sow, and give uh, $175,000 this year in, in gifts. I, I think God deserves praise. Amen. And so we are a blessed people, a blessed church, and the word works. It's entirely too late. No need to waste your breath to tell me that faith doesn't work, the word doesn't work, that uh, seed time and harvest doesn't work. It's just too late. It works too well and work, has worked too well. So thank God for his goodness and thank God for you. We appreciate all of you. You know, people drive from about eight different counties to get here in services with us every Sunday morning. And um, it's just a real, real blessing to be able to, to reach this region. And uh, so, you know, that's, if you ever wonder sometimes why we do things the way we do, uh, it's because we know that we're reaching far more than just a two-mile radius or three-mile radius, but this entire region. We are committed to, to just what that says on the wall, to ministering the Word and the Spirit to Central Virginia. We are excited about God's Word and its power and reality, and we're excited about the move of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's open our Bibles, if you haven't already done so, to the book of Mark, chapter 5. We'll begin with verse number 25. Mark 5 and 25. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians... And had spent all that she had, and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. When she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched his garment. For she said, If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that virtue or power had gone out of him, turned him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith, hath made thee whole. Notice, power went out of him, but he didn't say, my power has done it, even though it did. But he also said, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. If her faith would make her whole, then your faith will make you whole. If her faith worked so well, then we can learn the principles that she worked and functioned in, and our faith will work as well. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you today, Lord, for utterance in the Holy Ghost. Speak through my mouth. Think through my mind. 
and bring forth to your precious people, to all of us today, a word from heaven. May nobody leave the same way that they came in. May grace impartations and deposits of the Holy Spirit be made into every heart and life today, we pray. I thank you, Father, for confirming your word with signs following. I thank you, Lord, that we are not just going to read a historical account. We're not just going to learn about principles, but we are going to experience your power and your presence in this place today in the name of Jesus. And if you agree with me, say amen. Amen. We've been teaching a series of messages called From Desperation to Deliverance based on this account in Mark 5 of this woman who was healed of this 12-year affliction. 12 years of a flow of blood that never completely stopped. She had been to various doctors. She wasn't better. And on top of the fact that she wasn't better, she was now broke. She had spent all of her money. There was nobody that could help her. That there, there was nobody that could do anything for her in the natural. It looked hopeless. It looked helpless. It looked terminal. So to be broke and terminally ill... I would think that probably most of us would think that's about as low and as desperate as you could possibly be in this world. And that's where she was. But she heard of Jesus. Oh, thank God. Hallelujah. She heard of Jesus. And of course, somebody else brought her that word. And somehow, some way, she heard about him. And when she heard about the word... The Word made flesh, Jesus, and the Word concerning what He was preaching and teaching and most of all what He was doing, faith began to come. That's just a natural thing. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's exactly what happens every time you hear the Word of God, which is a great thing to know because there are times when you don't feel like you have any faith. There are times when you feel like that You're being overshadowed by the problem and that you're being squeezed and pressed into this thing and and you don't see a way out and it just seems so easy to despair and so easy to get negative. But the word says, if you hear God's word, faith comes. And so at the times when maybe we want to hear it the least, the times when it seems the most difficult to Open your Bible and begin to read, and I would encourage you to read out loud in those times. Or to find a recording, maybe, of somebody preaching and teaching the Word. Maybe it's one you've heard a hundred times. And to replay it or to play it for the first time, whatever the case may be. Sometimes that seems like such a difficult thing to make that decision and make yourself do it. But I want to tell you on the authority of the Word of God that if you will do that, faith will come. And faith is the victory, John said, that overcomes this world. And so if you really want to overcome, if you really want a way out, if you really want to be healed, if you really want to get out of a place of poverty, lack, and want, if you really want to get out of a bad situation in your life, if you really want to get out of that spiritual harassment or that mental pressure and anguish that is trying to overtake you, then Go to the Word and find the Scriptures. 
that deal with your particular issue. All the Word is good, and it all produces faith, but there's just something very powerful about going to Scriptures that talk about exactly what you're dealing with. I've done that before. And I remember looking at 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes or bruises or blood ye were healed. And I remember just actually this year, and I preached that verse and quoted that verse for years, and I had some information about it that, that was good. But I remember I just got the revelation, you know that thing we call revelation knowledge, Ephesians 1. When the Holy Spirit just turns the light bulb on that particular verse and you see something you've never seen before. You realize, you understand something you've never realized or understood before. And I remember I was actually sitting outside, sitting on a, on a little porch and I was sitting there with the Word and I, I remember it just really began to be revealed to me that in the mind of God, when I was saved, as far as that's concerned, he sees me saved, and at the same time, he sees me healed. There's no division. There's no room of separation anywhere. It's not like I got saved. For me, that was in 1968. I know that's ancient history for some of you, but that's true. In 1968. It's not that I got saved in 1968 and then I got healed in 2022. It's in the mind of God. When I got saved in 1968, in the mind of God, I was as saved. I mean, I'm sorry. I was as healed as I am saved. No separation. No boundary. Which means if you're born again, how many of you are born again? Then in the mind of God, you are healed. Now, your body may not look like it. It might not feel like it. This lady certainly didn't. It might not seem that there's any way out. You may not understand how it's going to happen. But what you need to understand that is according to the Word of God, you are healed. So my, my quest is then to connect to the power that will bring that healing to me. Faith, which comes from the Word, plus power equals miracles. That is the miracle equation. That's the healing equation, if you will. Faith plus power equals miracles. So this woman was walking this out. She heard of Jesus. And when she heard, she began to say what she heard, which was saying what she believed. She began to declare the word over her life. You see, confession, that word confession means to say the same as. It means to say the same thing. Homologia. Homo same. Logia word. Confession or profession. As a matter of fact, and we're told in the book of Hebrews that we are to hold fast to it. Now, I don't need to hold fast to anything unless some force is trying to take it away from me. Amen. I've never had to hold fast to a fat belly. It just wants to stay. Nobody's taking it away. It, you know, it's just there. Well, you don't have to hold fast to anything except that which there's a chance it's going to be taken away. And the Bible says that your confession is one of those things. 
You have to hold fast to it. Why? Because there are going to be all kinds of opportunities to throw it away. You have all kinds of opportunities to, to, to say how you feel instead of say what you believe. All kinds of opportunities to join into conversations of unbelief and doubt and fear and to begin to uh, say what's wrong and this, that, and the other and to be negative and to, and to go the route of unbelief. But there is no deliverance in that. There's no deliverance in agreeing with the problem. You will never move your mountain by talking about the mountain. Jesus didn't say, whosoever shall say about the mountain how big it is. He said, whosoever shall say unto. You don't speak about it. You speak to it. Somebody said, well, I just don't believe that. I just don't believe that, that that's the way it's going to work. I just don't believe that God does that. I mean, after all, I'm just a human. He's God. That's just not going to happen. Well, then uh, how did you get saved? Are you saved? You know, being saved is the most important thing that ever happened to anybody. There's nothing more important. I mean, you can be poor and go to heaven if you're saved. You can be sick and go to heaven if you're saved. You can have all kinds of things going on around you that, that, that make, brings you grief, if you will, and still go to heaven if you're saved. But you can't get to heaven if you're not saved. You can't get to heaven if you don't know Jesus. There is only one way to heaven, only one way to get to God, and that is through Jesus the Christ. There are not various ways, multiple ways. This isn't multiple choice. This is one and only. It is narrow. It is, it is strict, yes, but it works. Amen. Isn't it amazing how people get all been out of shape about declaring that Jesus is Lord and the only way to God? And they don't do that about electricity. None of those people who carry on about the fact that they think, like that really makes any difference, you know, what they think, that, uh, you know, it, that, that, there should, that there's multiple ways to God and I don't have to believe the Bible and Jesus isn't the only way. They say all of those kind of things. But then if they were doing some kind of electrical thing in their house, they'd want to be very careful that they did it properly because they don't want to burn their house down or they don't want to electrocute themselves. See, people have no problem with rules. They have no problem with strict adherence to policy and procedure in, in certain areas. But when it comes to the most important thing on the planet, they're all loose. They're, they're just, you know, anything goes. Can you see the devil's handprints all over that kind of mentality? Because he wants to take you to hell. Anyway, how did we get off on that? Somebody maybe needed to hear that today. But uh, uh, you, you have to know that faith works, and, and you have to understand that there's certain ways this happens. How did you get saved? That was what I was asking. Well, you got saved by believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. So if your confession, let me just quote it for you. Romans 10, 9 and 10, if... For, you know, what saith it, the word is near thee, even in your heart and in your mouth. That is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth Jesus is Lord, or confess the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, 
You didn't get saved without confession. Why would you think you're going to get healed without confession? Why would you think you're going to prosper without confession? Why would you think you're going to have any other blessing of the covenant without confession? How are you going to have a good marriage without confession? Amen? You know, you never have a good relationship with anybody unless your words are right toward them and about them. Amen. I think Garrison and Hannah, you're getting married in two weeks. So, you know, the two most important words for you, Garrison, are yes, dear. <laughs> never forget that. Hallelujah. <laughs> right, Hannah. Praise the Lord. But you see, words are important. Words are important. And so she began to pick up this word that she heard, and she began to make it her own. Because the written word needs sound. As long as it's just marks on paper, it's not going to heal you. It's not going to deliver you. When it's lifted off the paper, that's when the Bible does you good. You have to take this book and you have to lift those words off the page and give them your voice. Your voice is unique. You know, we've, science has proven that. It's as unique. Your voice is as unique as your fingerprint. And it is your spiritual identification. You know, uh, I don't have it with me here. It's out in the office. But, you know, my driver's license, that's an identification. And from time to time, I have to show that. They won't let you on a plane unless you show ID. All kinds of things won't happen unless you have an identification. Well, in the realm of the Spirit, all kinds of things won't happen unless you have proper identification. And your voice serves as your identification and, and the voice of a redeemed Man or woman is a voice that identifies you with the redeemed of God. And it begins to identify you and it gives you passage. You know, you take somebody to the airport. I mentioned this just now. But you take somebody to the airport. If you choose to, you can go in uh, to the front and you can be with them. But there comes a point in time when you can't go any further. If you're not ticketed and you don't have proper ID, you're not going past security. And so it is, your identification gives you passage into certain areas. Your voice, your words give you right of passage into the great and mighty blessings of God. So this woman kept saying continually, if I can touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. You see, the word of God that had come to her was now in her. And once it's in you, it can then flow from you and flow through you. Remember, if your mouth isn't moving, neither is your mountain. So she's in a good place, but it's not over. She kept saying continually. So that's a continuous present tense verb in the Greek. And I know a lot of this is reiteration, a lot of this is repeat, but I just have to follow the Holy Ghost. Uh, we need this. I, I, this message changed my life. You just wouldn't believe if you weren't there to know where God has brought us from. I remember the first little church we pastored. Uh, I remember that it got to this time of the year, and, uh, and it was cool. And I remember thinking, you know, all we had was a little sanctuary, very small little room, and then there was an addition that was built to the side, and that was just one big room. And it was kind of a combination kitchen and Sunday school classes. I mean, if you can imagine, this is a two-room church, and there were no restrooms. 
uh, outside there were. You had uh, the men's was on the restroom was uh, in a little building on the left. And the women's restroom was in a little building on the right. No running water and no heat in those rooms. Some of you kids just can't imagine a world like that. <laughs> I remember that I was thinking on, that, on a Sunday morning that those kids need heat. So I got up early and I drove across the hill and down where the church was and I went in. And uh, I had n- absolutely no experience with, with gas of any kind, natural gas, propane gas, or anything. And so this, there was a heater in this one big room on the side that was uh, propane gas. And so I didn't know anything about it. And I didn't have a lot of sense, of course. And so I remember I finally figured out to turn the gas on, and I heard it, you know that sound. And I didn't realize I needed to light it quickly. And <laughs> when I struck the match, <clears throat> we had a small explosion in that room. <laughs> Nobody was hurt. We didn't burn the building down. But uh, that was, that was, that's where we came from in ministry. Amen. I, uh, I could tell you story after story, but you would get bored. And uh, you might bring you to tears. I don't know. But anyway... So I'm just saying that to tell you that these principles work. They absolutely work. And so the Word of God will get through you to accomplish things. Once it gets in you, you believe it and you choose to speak it out. I encouraged you about three weeks ago. I don't know how many of you have done this, but I would encourage you one more time. You need to make an impossibility list and learn to laugh over it And talk about it, talk over it every day. You need a list of things that you know you can never have or you can never do on your own. Or at least in a certain uh, specific time frame. You couldn't get it done just on your own. You don't know how your income would handle it. You don't know how your ability would handle it. Whatever it may be, it's beyond you. And then laugh at it. You know, Job said, at destruction and famine, we shall laugh. So I'm learning to ha, ha, ha about some impossibilities. And I hope you will too, because that's part of faith, to speak to the mountain, not talk about the mountain, speak to the mountain. Amen. So faith comes by hearing, and hearing, and this kind of faith I'm talking about, one thing, that is the Word of God. Now I'm going to make a statement that I want you not to get mad at me about, and don't throw it away either, because it's important. But this is especially true in our modern day of the internet. Here it is. Too many people know too much about too many unimportant things. Watch out for the trivia trap. Paul, about 30 years into his ministry, writes to the Philippians in chapter 3 and verse 13, and he says, this one thing I do. And he goes on to talk about Pressing for the, for the mark, for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus and so forth. But he was obviously a single-minded person. He received an assignment from the Lord and he just kept going. I like to say it this way. Go on green and don't ever stop until you get a red light. 
Whatever the last thing God told you to do, don't ever quit doing it until he tells you to stop. You say, well, you know, I'm, I've been doing this now for two years, five years, ten years, fifteen years. You know, how long am I going to have to do it? Don't worry about how long you're going to have to do it. Think about it in a different way. How long am I going to get to obey God? How long am I going to get to be faithful? How long am I going to get to be consistent? Because it's inconsistency that there will be power for your miracles. And this woman was consistent with her confession. She no doubt meditated the word that she had heard. She began to see herself well. She began to say and to see. Her voice and her imagination began to work. Joshua 1.8 was working in her life. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. So she had this going. But she took some further action. And that's what I want to talk about today for the next three hours is further action. Everybody say this with me. Faith is an act. Faith is taking action on the word that we believe. If what you have heard isn't moving you in any way, then you really don't believe it yet. If it has no effect on your talk... No effect on your walk, no effect on your priorities, no effect on your time management, no effect on your time, talent, or treasure, then you don't really believe it. Faith is an act. She moved and she went where Jesus was. Now we know that Jesus Christ, Christ is not Jesus' last name, by the way, Christ is a transliteration from the Greek word Christos. It means the anointed one. Well, if someone is anointed, then when you talk about them and you refer to them as anointed, you're also referring to the anointing that they are anointed with. Wouldn't you agree? You know, if I talk about somebody they have on a black suit, well, I'm talking about them, but I'm acknowledging they're wearing a black suit. Well, that's the same way with Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed one. And so this woman made a decision, I'm going where the anointing is. I'm going to make room in my life and in my schedule to touch the power of God. Now this, this is a big subject. As a matter of fact, it's so big that in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse number 2, in that particular passage, in the listing of the six fundamental principles of the doctrine of Christ, there is a mention right in the middle of the list of the doctrine of laying on of hands. The doctrine of laying on of hands. Also, it mentions repentance, faith toward God, eternal judgment, resurrection of the dead, but it mentions the laying on of hands. Why, even decades after Jesus had already went to heaven, the church is already established and it's beginning to grow and it's beginning to spread in various parts of the known world at that time, why would it be that the writer in Hebrews would list it to the church as a part of its six fundamental doctrines? And, and maybe even a more important question today in 2022 would be, why is it that we see so little of it in the church in general? Why would there not be more of it? Why are there churches that maybe you could go six months and nobody would ever lay hands on anybody? 
the laying on of hands is a means not only of recognition, and that's part of it. We lay hands on people for uh, uh, ordination, for instance, to the ministry. We lay hands on children to bless them and to dedicate them to God. There are various uses for this, this concept or this, this ritual or this rite of the laying on of hands. But the primary thing that happens when it's properly done, when it is done in faith and it's done under the anointing, is that there is a transmission or a transfer of the power of God. Now, a lot of people would read the Gospels and say, well, I, you know, I have no problem with Jesus laying hands on people and the power of God is ministering to him. but where, what about anybody else? Well, what about Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12? Acts chapter 19, verses 11 and 12. And God wrought, and God wrought, not a man, not Paul, not anybody, but God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs, or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So God used Paul's hands to even touch pieces of cloth that were then taken to sick people or demonized people, and they were healed, and they were set free. And then, of course, we know that even when Peter, at one point in his ministry, walked by, they brought people out in the streets just so that the shadow of Peter would pass by them and they would be healed. And you say, well, but these are apostles. Well, Jesus told us in the 16th chapter of the book of Mark, these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. That means to, to take them away, to throw away, like Paul did in the book of Acts to get rid of it, threw it in the fire. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. If you've ever been to the third world, you're glad that's in the Bible. And they shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. No ifs, ands, or buts, or maybes about it. James writes and says, is there any sick among you? I always think it's interesting that he would ask that question, is there any sick among you? You know, writing to many churches today, it says, anybody there? Well. Is anybody not on some kind of drugs? Anybody that's not, you know. But he says, is anybody sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And you would do that by pouring or rubbing or smearing. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. If he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. The, the rite and the ritual of the laying on of hands spans both Old Testament and New Testament. And one of the primary ways that it blesses people today is through a point of contact for someone to release their faith in the power of God. It's not that they have faith in the person so much. It's that they have faith in the power of God that that person is anointed with. That's what this woman was coming to Jesus. She, did, she wasn't a theologian. She wasn't a, a scribe or a Pharisee or a Sadducee. She wasn't a doctor of the law. She was, she was just a, a lady who had been sick for 12 years and had come to the end of the road, if you will, and needed desperately to receive a miracle. And so she just threw caution to the wind. And though she was supposed to be quarantined and unclean by the Jewish traditional law and not supposed to be in the crowds, she came in and she uh, came through the crowd, touched people, violated all of that just to get to the power of God, just to get to the place where she could receive from the anointing. She made room for the anointing. There's an Old Testament uh, story that is, is, is about another lady that... Um, 
got very desperate at one point in her life. She was a lady that had made room, amen, made room for Elisha the prophet. She literally made a room so that when he passed by, he would have a place to stay. And Elisha the prophet and his servant would stay there. And she was very kind. She put a bed in there for him to rest on, a chair and a lampstand. And, and uh, obviously she probably fed the meals and, and she just made room for the man of God. And without whether she knew it or not, we don't know for sure. But in making room for the man of God, the anointed man of God, she made room for the anointing. And so later on, after a miracle child had been given to her that God had prophesied to her through Elisha, this child actually died one day, and she went to the prophet. She went alone. And uh, she went, and she basically, you read the story, she basically demanded of the prophet that he come back to minister to her son. First, the prophet said for, to the servant, go out and see what she wants. And uh, she just came in and, and was insisting. And you know what? The prophet went. And you know the story. If you read your Bible, her little boy was resurrected. He was raised up. Why did that happen? Because she had made room for the anointing in her life. She would made room for the Holy Ghost. She respected and, 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 and understood something about the touch of God on this man. We don't know what Elisha looked like. We know he's bald-headed because they made fun of him. And by the way, those who made fun of him were eaten by bears. <laughs> I'm not going to say any more about that. But she respected him. I, we don't know what he looked like. We don't know if he was cool, you know, if he had on these prayer warrior jeans. You've seen those ones with all the knees out of them. They prayed the knees out of their, their pants. I don't know if he was cool or not. Don't know if his hat was backwards, forward, sideways. We don't know all of that, but we know one thing. He was anointed. He was anointed. And so she had made room. And just like this woman here in Mark 5, she got her miracle. This woman moved to touch the power of God. Let's look back at Mark 5 in verse number 30. It says, and Jesus immediately knowing in himself that virtue, that, that's a translated virtue there, but it's power, had gone out of him. How did he know that? Because it goes on to say that she felt in her body, that's, uh, that's the verse before it, verse 29, she felt in her body. How did that happen? How did she feel something and he also felt the power go out? It's because the anointing is tangible. It's tangible. Now faith works even when we don't feel anything. But you can feel the anointing. Now, you're not always going to be overcome by it. You're not always, people don't always fall under the power. I'm not saying you have to feel anything, but it is perceptible to the touch. It is possible that you would, uh, you would know that you've, you've received. And I know in ministering to people, laying on of hands, there are times when you can just sense the power go out. It's just almost like something's drawing it out of you. And then there are other times that you know you don't sense anything that doesn't mean we're not obeying God that doesn't mean people can't receive but it just means that that there's various ways that it is is ministered and I think a lot of it has to do with the amount of faith that is mixed with the power so if you mix faith with the power you'll get your miracle so it's not coming to try to get a feeling it's not seeing well I'm gonna see what he's got or she's got that's not what it's about it's about honoring the principle of the Word of God, the principle of laying on of hands, honoring the principle of contact and transmission, the transmission of God's power, and acting on the Word. 
Now, I mentioned last week that there are two kinds of unbelief. And uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about the, the Old Testament people of God that came out of Egypt. That first generation did not go into the promised land with the exception of Joshua and Caleb because of their unbelief. Unbelief. They, the word was preached to them, Hebrews 4.2, as well as unto us. But the word preached to them did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So you can hear something and still not get the benefit of it. I said there are two kinds of unbelief. The first kind is the unbelief of ignorance. That means we just don't know. And if you've never heard the truth, then you don't know to believe the truth. And the cure for that is teaching, hearing the word. But then there is what Hebrews 3 calls an evil heart of unbelief. Now, you know, you may have in your mind what you think is evil. And, and I don't know what your list is. But it's really important that whatever God says is evil, that we recognize that and stay away from it. God says unbelief is evil. And what he's saying about that is that these people heard the word. They'd heard Moses. They knew what the promise was. They'd heard about the covenant. They, they, the first generation had seen miracles. They'd seen the plagues in Egypt. They'd seen the parting of the Red Sea. They'd seen water come out. They had seen water come from the rock. They'd seen all these things. But when they got up to the promised land... They just made a choice. I'm not going to go. I don't, I, just, I don't believe that anymore. I'm not going to do that. And God says that's evil. That's evil. Now think about that. We think of a child molester. That is evil. We think of a rapist. That's evil. A murderer. That's evil. Someone who comes in and steals all the stuff that somebody has. That's evil. Unbelief, God says, is evil. And so what this woman had done, she had heard and she decided, I'm going through. I'm following through. And if I can just touch his clothes, I'll be whole. And so her confession, her voice, and her persistence brought her to the place where her faith gave her access to touch the hem of his garment. Exactly what she said is exactly what happened. She made room for the Holy Ghost. Her identification, which had been changed by her faith. You see, she had been identified as this hopeless, helpless, desperate, sick, and dying woman. She heard of Jesus, and she began to make her confession of faith, and her voice, her spiritual identification changed, and she moved in that direction, and her ID allowed her to pass through to her victory. She made a connection to God's power, and when she did, her healing was complete, and in her case, it was instant. Not everybody's healed instantaneously. Some even in the Gospels you read about, one you think about the lepers cleansed as they went. We see that in one case, one came to Jesus for healing for for a servant, they inquired, when did he begin to amend? And it was at the very hour that Jesus told him, you know, your servant is healed. So there are processes. But the key to the whole thing is never, never, never turn the switch of faith off. Never 
turn it off. Keep the switch of faith turned on. Don't cast away your confidence, Hebrews 10.35. And as we said earlier, hold fast to your confession, Hebrews 3 and 6, Hebrews 4 and 14, and Hebrews 10.23. You see, what worked for her will work for you. She wasn't the daughter of a nobleman. She wasn't a queen. She wasn't some prophetess. She was an ordinary person that the devil was trying to kill prematurely. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. The power of God is available. And as far as I am concerned, based on the scriptures, every time I lay hands on anyone in obedience to God's word, and they, by faith, come for that ministry, Every time we do, healing is ministered and healing begins. What people do from that point on will have a great deal to do with the full manifestation that they desire. Sometimes it's quick, sometimes not. I've told this story before, but I remember many years ago, uh, Glenna's sister was in a service and she had terrible battles with gallstones and and they were uh, wanting to do surgery and um, she came up in a service we were having a, a series of meetings in the church and and a minister laid hands on her and it may have been the first time I had ever seen anyone fall under the power from a standing position just fall out onto the floor under the power of God and we hadn't seen a lot of that, even though we were Pentecostal. And uh, I remember the preacher very quickly said, don't bother her. Don't get her up. Don't touch her. And his words were, the Lord's doing surgery. Do you know that was about almost 40 years ago? She still got her gall, uh, still got her gallbladder. Never had another attack of it. Sometimes it happens that quickly. I mean, by the time she got up off the floor, it's a few minutes. All that was over. There are other situations that it's not so quick, but it comes. The last thing this woman did was she told it. Revelation twelve eleven says they overcame him, speaking of the devil, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. She told it. Her faith's confession went from... If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. To her saying, I am healed. And this is how it happened. Testimony inspires and blesses others. And let me point this out. A testimony is a continuation of our confession of faith. Your testimony is not only a way to bless and encourage other people and inspire other people, but your testimony is a continuation of your confession of your faith. The Lord dealt with me, and, and I want to deal with you as a pastor and just say this. Whatever brought you to a place of victory, don't stop. We never use our faith in order to get to the place where we don't need faith. That's worth thinking about. I think sometimes people think, if I can just get past this mess, if I can just get past this pain, if I can get past this problem, you know, then whew, you know, I can kind of rest assured. No, whatever brought you there is what it's going to take to keep you there. 
my own life. I know that healing is mine, but I know that the things that help bring me healing are the things that will keep me healed. So every day I'm confessing the Word of God. Every day. I am constantly going back over and over again, great healing truths, listening to it, because I do not want to let the devil into my life in any way. And one of the most powerful things the devil tries to do to people is bring a counterattack. And he messes with people's minds in this area because people immediately begin to think, well, I thought I got healed. I guess I didn't get it. Or they go, you know, what's happening, Lord? I don't understand this. You know, this, this, I, I felt so good for, you know, all the day or two days or a week or two weeks or whatever. And now this thing seems to be back. What you need to understand is the devil is knowing in his thinking that this worked once. I'll try it again. And the same faith and the same power, the same Lord Jesus, the same anointing that drove it out will keep it out. So you just need to stand up and say, no, you don't, devil. I receive my healing. In Jesus' name, my body is healed and whole. Or whatever the need might be. It might not be physical healing. It may be something else. Don't let him back into your life. Let him know that you know he's under your feet. I want to close this morning with 1 John chapter 5 and verse number 4. I'm going to turn over here and read it. I want, uh, I want you to listen carefully. Based on what you've already heard this morning, listen to these words. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. There is nothing that you cannot overcome. There is no problem, circumstance, or situation that is not curable and fixable in the mind of God. Man may not be able to cure it. Man may not be able to fix it. But God's not bound like men are bound. I believe in the God of miracles. I believe in a God of answered prayer. I believe in God who still anoints his servants with the Holy Ghost and with power. The anointing of God is here today. The power of God is present today. We don't, every single service, make a great pull for people to come forward, to have hands laid on them. It's available in any service that somebody would want it. But there are times when we feel led of the Lord that we should do that. And if you have a witness that this is a day when I need to respond, I need the touch of God, I want that anointing in my life, then I would want you in a moment here to respond. If it's one person, ten people, three people... It's, that, it's not a show. It's not a contest. It's about ministering to the needs of people. And you might sometimes wonder, well, you know, don't I need to explain to, to you or to maybe the whole congregation all my symptoms and all my problems? It's not necessary because no matter what it is, it's going to be God that fixes it. Amen. And uh, I don't mean to be harsh about it, but... You really, you don't, you don't need our sympathy. You need the power of God. You need to be fixed. And also when you come, and I know sometimes people are offended about some of these things, but I think it's very important for us to understand how to connect. Do you notice when that woman touched the, the hem of Jesus' garment, he didn't know who had done it. He had to turn around in the crowd and say, who touched me? 
You know, Jesus had taken on himself a body of flesh. He'd taken on certain limitations. He'd laid aside his divine glory and power. He was sinless, spotless, and he was powerfully anointed. But in this, this occasion, he, he had to find out who touched him. So evidently, she wasn't making any noise, except maybe if she was under her breath saying, if I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And so when we come in a service like this, we don't come up here for a prayer meeting. It, you're not going to get healed based, based on how loud you holler. Amen. I mean, I, I, I came from, you know, from a Pentecostal background. And, uh, you know, mix and mingle with charismatic people, word of faith people. I'm a, a very much of a mixed breed, I guess you could say. But anyway, and I know that sometimes people think if I can feel something, if I maybe get a little jerk on me, you know, whatever, uh, if, I, if, if it gets really loud. Well, you know, sometimes we jerk, shake, quake, run. I run around the building sometimes. Usually do about a half lap. I used to do whole laps. <laughs> but you don't have to do that to receive. As a matter of fact, I found most of the time people receive better when they just come to receive you prayed I'm sure I know I have the anointing is here what you need to do is you know it's just like taking a drink of water you pick up the glass and drink just drink in the power of God and it's that power that fixes whatever's wrong so I'd like for you